Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Well, I'm a year older. I had a birthday this week, which means that I'm now officially in my 40s. I mean, I was kind of, I was 40 before. (laughs) You're going to do 41 cuts to me, Sean. I was 40 before, but now I'm in my 40s. Like, there's no denying it. I'm closer to, to 50 than I am to 30. <laughs> Still young. Thanks, mate. Well, um, you know, it should be obvious to me because every time I look in the mirror, there's an extra grey hair. And so, you know, you kind of think, well, hopefully it's okay to get older as long as you're getting wiser. Is that right? As long as you're getting wiser along with it. And I kind of think that I am very, very slowly because it's taken me 41 years, but I think, I, I think I'm finally starting to understand my wife. I think. <laughs> it's a bold statement, I know, men, isn't it? It's tricky, but see, (laughs) Um, so um, yeah, my life and everything that I do is is all about efficiency, right? So I like to be efficient with my time, my talent, and my treasure. So like with my time, I have... I have three different calendars that I share with three different, uh, you know, groups of people that I check at least 10 times a day to make sure that I'm, you know, using my time uh, wisely because I, I want to be efficient with my time. With my, with my, uh, my talent, uh, many of you know that I'm not talented at fixing things, so I'm not going to waste my time when something breaks around the house I'm not going to try to fix it myself. I'll get Grant or Craig or Ian or, you know, someone to come over and fix it for me because if I try to fix it, I'm going to break it more and then they're going to have to come and spend more time fixing it. So I want to be efficient with, uh, with my talent. So I don't waste my time trying to fix things, but I do spend, you know, the first hour or two every day before I even come to work, I spend studying theology because that's what you know, the teaching gift is, is what God has gifted me and I want to be efficient with the gift that, you know, that God has given me. So I try to be efficient with, with my talent. And with my treasure, I try to be uh, efficient with my treasure. I've never uh, ever lived in a rental property. We own our house outright. Uh, every car that we've bought, we've saved up for before. I've never owned a credit card, never used zip pay, after pay, anything like that. If I don't have the money to buy something, I don't buy it because I want to be efficient with the treasure that God has given me. And this efficiency works well in every area and every aspect of my life, apart from with my wife. And many of you know that uh, you know, that I obviously work on Sundays, I, I work, you know, most uh, Saturdays, we had a funeral here yesterday, and um, so we take Wednesday off, for the last seven years we take uh, Wednesday off, and we call that date day, and I had to call it date day, because 
Belinda thought, well, if that's the one day that you're not at church, it's the day for you to get all the jobs done around the house. But as I said, that's for you know, Grant and Ian and Craig and all these other guys to, <laughs> to do for me. So I said, no, it's date day. So it's a day where we you know, walk along the beach and we eat ice cream at Bottega and it's, it's a great day. And besides Sunday, where I get to see all of you, it's the best day of the week. But even though it's the best day of the week, it was probably also the day of the week that we would actually fight the most, that we would actually argue the most. We would have a great day, but there was always arguments along the way. You see, because even on date day, I want it to be efficient. I want to maximize the fun and the enjoyment that we would have. And so I would want to plan and schedule and program everything and make sure that I'm doing it in the most efficient way. And so if we started off our day and we went to a particular location, a particular place, and then Belinda decided that she wanted to go somewhere else, but it wasn't the most efficient use of the, you know, how, you know, if she had told me at the start of the day, I could have planned the day and made sure that the path and the journey that we were going to go on that day would, would incorporate that. And so I would refuse to let her go somewhere that she wanted to go and that maybe I wanted to go too, but because it was inefficient, because it wasn't, we hadn't planned on that, it wasn't part of our schedule. And so we would fight and argue about where we were going and what we were going to do because I felt as though she was being disrespectful to my gift and talent of being efficient and she felt as though she was just another resource for me to manage rather than my wife to be loved. And then two weeks ago, it was my mum's 70th birthday and and so uh, my auntie contacted me she lives in Queensland and she um, wanted to send my mum some flowers but she said she wanted to get them delivered but of course my my parents live out on a hobby farm and she said no um, no place would you know deliver out to where they live so she said could I get could she send me some money, I get some flowers and I take them to her. But again, being Mr. Efficient, I said, I know exactly where my mum is going to be and she's going to be in town at this particular address on her birthday and we can contact this florist and get them to deliver the flowers like while she's, while she's there and they can be delivered on her birthday. So we did that, we arranged that and uh, the flowers arrived uh, for my mum, and she just broke down and started to cry. And she said, this is the first time I've ever had flowers delivered in my life. And, you know, it was kind of a little bit sad to me that, that, you know, it wasn't from my dad and that she had to wait 70 years to have flowers delivered. But I thought, well, it's because my dad is like me or I'm like my dad. He's Mr. Efficient, you know, Mr. Sensible, Mr. Logical. And like, you know, if you want to 
give a sign of your undying love for the one you love, why would you send something that's going to die in a couple of days? But I thought, what a shame if that's my wife's story, you see. And so for my birthday, for the first time, I had flowers delivered to her. And some of you men in the room are probably saying, that's illogical, it makes no sense. And that's kind of the point, that there are no rules in romance. There is no boundaries to beauty. There is no efficiency in in elegance. So I know that I'm slow, but I think that I'm finally starting to understand that love is kind of illogical. It's kind of inefficient, and that's what makes it beautiful. But it's scary to me because I want my life to look beautiful. I want, I want my life to reflect what Jesus himself said in John 10.10, where he said, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. And I want that overflowing life. I want a beautiful life. But if beauty is illogical, how am I going to marry these two things? Because in order for there still to be overflow, in order for there to be abundance, there needs to still be a cup. There still needs to be a container which holds everything that is essential. And so when that which is essential, that which is necessary has been filled, then the overflow can come. So I kind of realized that there are three things that we need, that are, that are life needs. And we're going to talk about them today. There are three points. So we need a faith foundation. We need a sanctified structure. But then we need boundless beauty. And so because we are life house, we're going to talk about this in terms of a house. We're going to use the analogy of a house because in a house, you need a foundation and you need these, the walls and the roof. You need the structure of the house. But then you need things on the inside of the house. You need furniture. And you need paintings on the wall. And you need pot plants. And you need pot plants. And you need pot plants, apparently, in our household. So if we're going to have this life that is full and overflowing and abundant and saved and redeemed and justified and forgiven and abundant and and lavish, we actually need all three of those things and we need them in that order. 
Now, if I can make a bit of a generalisation, and this is not true of everybody I know, but in general, I think the people in the room that are over 41 years and three days old kind of tend to focus mostly on the foundation. And sometimes they focus on the foundation to the neglect of the beauty on the inside of the house. And then people that are under 41 years and three days old tend to focus primarily on the beauty and the entertainment and making things look all good on the outside to the neglect of the foundation. And then the people in the room that are 41 years and three days old tend to focus on the structure, on the efficiency and running the kids here, there and everywhere and making sure that life works and we can do everything on time. And so this is actually why we need a multi-generational church. This is why we need each other to be reminded of the fact that if we are over 40, we need to be reminded of the fact that God actually wants your life to look beautiful. That it's not wasteful, that it is not excessive to display the love and the grace and the generosity of God in your life. That it's okay to take some time to make life beautiful. And then also, the young people in the room need to understand that our life isn't all just about feelings. That when the feelings, you know, the good feelings that we have, that when we come along to church, yes, we want you to, to feel the presence of God and we want you to know the presence of God. We want you to be entertained at some level. But when things aren't entertaining, when your prayers aren't being answered, when you don't feel like it, that our faith just doesn't disappear with those feelings, that there is an underlying bedrock to our faith, that our faith is not based on feelings, it's based on the fact of, of, of the cross of Jesus Christ, that this is why we gather. We don't gather just to entertain, that we, that we don't gather just to sing your favorite song and have your prayers all answered. We gather to lift up the name that is above every other name. We gather because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for us. And that has to be the foundation of all that we are and all that we do as a church. So we need all three of those things. So we're going to go through them a bit more in detail, each one. So first of all, we need that faith foundation. And the longest sermon ever recorded of, of Jesus, uh, that Jesus ever, ever preached, was one called the Sermon on the Mount. It goes for, for three chapters and has a lot of great stuff in there. It's basically him laying down this new way of living, this new way of doing things that, that Jesus had as he moves us from this old covenant to the new covenant, from, from you know, law-based living to grace-based living. And just as he's closing out this, um, this sermon, the very last thing that he says, we're going to read in Matthew 7, 
Starting at verse 24, it says, Anyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rains fell and the flood came, with fierce winds beating upon his house, it stood firm because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when it rained and rained and the flood came and the wind and the waves were beating on his house, it collapsed and was swept away. And as a geologist, I used to have to be called in to verify foundations. Whenever there was you know, big uh, building projects going on, not just ordinary houses, but large uh, you know, structures, factories and different things going on, I was called in to check the foundations. And it was always interesting to me that the people building the house would hate the fact if they were going to hit rock because it would just slow everything down, it would be more costly. And so the builders of the structure, the builders of the house or whatever was going on would always despise the rock, but they would love the sand because the sand was so much easier, so much faster. And of course, the finished product looks the same. When you go in and everything's just done and just finished, everything looks perfect. The difference comes, of course, when the pressure starts to be applied. You see, when the sand is the foundation, only when that pressure starts to be applied, just as Jesus said, that then cracks in the foundation start to occur. And so it is with us in, in life that we live in a, in a fast-paced, need-it-now, entertainment-driven society. And so we just want the fastest, easiest, cheapest way to make everything look good. And it may work for a while. And when you first go into that life and want that life that just looks good... It'll look good for a period of time, but then the pressures of life start to come and we start to see some cracks start to form. And I think that that's happened a bit through this time of COVID when we don't always get all those warm, fuzzy feelings, where things don't always go the way that we want, where we can't see our friends every day the way that we used to, when all these things start to happen and some cracks have started to form in people's lives. And if that has been your experience, I want to I say to you today that all is not lost because there is a rock upon which you can build your life. That yes, if we decide to, to build our life on a foundation of finances, there will come a day where we'll be without finances and things will start to crack. If we build our life just on relationships, like what's happened through this COVID time where we can't see each other as much, we can't touch and, and hold each other a, a, as much as we would like to, all of a sudden 
cracks start to form. When we build it on the acceptance and the approval of others, when we don't get that, then cracks start to form and we start to, to sink in the floodwaters of life. But when we understand that upon the rock of Calvary, Jesus died, that it is that when he stood there, he said, It is finished, that it is a done deal. You are already loved, you're already accepted, that your faith can be on something that is strong and, and sure and true because he's already shown his love and his acceptance of you and it won't sink and it won't rust and it won't fade it is something that is eternal i once took a job uh for this developer who'd bought this uh entire city block there was just one house that had been built and so he on on this block everything else was vacant and so he wanted to build a, a massive subdivision there and so he called me in to, to look at the, at the foundation. But when I did some research, it, it appeared as though like 50 years before that this, uh, that this block uh, was, uh, had a factory on it. And it also appeared as though the factory was just, from aerial photos and different things that I was looking at, it appeared as though this factory was just burying some of their rubbish on site. So I got a, uh, a 30-ton excavator to come out and we started to dig down to see what this, you know, the foundation was that this guy wanted to build upon. And as we started to, to dig down, we ended up digging the entire reach of that excavator over seven metres and for all of those seven metres, it was filled with rubbish with heavy metals, with asbestos, with everything that you can think of. And so we dug in all these different places. We dug holes here, there and everywhere to check exactly the extent of it. And there was one hole that, we, that I dug, dug right up against the fence of, uh, of this uh, lady's uh, house who was living in the house uh, sort of right there next to it. And so she peered over the back fence to see what we were digging out of the ground and she kind of said that's not what my house is built on is it and I had to say yes unfortunately it is I had to go back to the developer and tell him that he couldn't just build upon the foundation that was there because of the past generation because of what was there all the rubbish and all the different things that he would have to dig out and remove all of that rubbish and go down deep before he could build up. And so it is for our life as a house. Sometimes we have rubbish left from past generations. That there's ways of thinking that has been passed down from the generation before, from our parents, from situations and circumstances that have come into our life that mean that we have a faulty way of thinking around ourselves and around God. And if we just try to build a life on top of that, there's going to come a time where 
our foundation is going to be shaken, where if we try to build upon the rubbish of the past generations, it's just not going to work. And so we actually have to dig down deep and, and dig into the things of God and allow good things to be placed in there before we can build a life up on that. And none of us like to do that because we just want to slap the foundation down and, and build up and, and have a finished product. We want our life to be finished. We want, it, we want it to be done. We want it to be complete. Because then we think that that'll make us complete. And so we just want the quickest fix possible. But God is saying, no, I want you to remove that rubbish, remove that faulty way of thinking before you build things up. So we need a solid foundation and only Jesus Christ can give us that solid foundation. Only the Word of God can do that. And so secondly, we need a sanctified structure. A sanctified structure. We need walls and a roof. And a few years ago, I had the privilege of going to America, of traveling to America and uh, visiting some churches over there. And so we had booked in to go to these different churches. We were uh, this particular day, we were in Chicago, so we went to a, a church uh, in the morning and we met with some of the leaders. And then we didn't have anything planned for the Sunday afternoon, so we decided to go for a drive. So off we went, we were driving around and we ended up driving down to the south of Chicago. We were in a relatively uh, sort of rough neighborhood, but then we saw uh, this church and there were people streaming in. Uh, to this church so we thought oh, these guys must have a night service so we thought we let's stop and and uh, we'll go in and it was you know quite a large church but they they welcomed us really well and they 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 brought us down the front and they had a tv show and they put us on tv and all this kind of stuff and and uh you know we were welcomed really well but people kept on kind of asking us what we were doing there and I thought it was kind of an odd question at first because I'm just like, well, we're here the same as everybody else. We're here for church. Isn't it obvious what we're doing here? But as the church kind of started to fill up, and as I said, there was probably a thousand people there, that when it was full up and I kind of looked around, I realized that we were the only white people in the whole church that it was an African-American church. And so I kind of realized that they weren't used to having white people in their church, which I thought was, again, a bit odd. So I kind of, because we were made to feel so welcome. So I'm just like, what, like, why is this? So I started to ask some questions about the history of the church. You know, I was there to learn. And so they said, well, this church was built, or partially built, as they explained, back in, back in the 60s. And so they were in this rough neighborhood, but they did amazing. They did a, you know, a giving campaign. They'd raised all these funds to build you know, this sort of 1,000-seat auditorium in, in the middle of, of this, this neighborhood. They'd finished the building campaign. They got the approval uh, from the, the local government, and uh, they'd poured the concrete slab as the, as the, uh, you know, the work was underway. And then... Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King found out about the work of this church. And so he said, I want to come and pray over this church. 
you know, it's, it's an amazing, significant church to be doing this kind of work in, the, in this area. So he said, would it be all right if I came and I, I prayed over the foundation? And they said, we would love that. That would be great. Yes, please come and, and pray, over, pray over our church, pray over this foundation about what God is going to do in this community through this local church. And then, sadly, some of the racist white leaders of that particular council area said, if you let him come and pray over your church, if you let him set foot on that foundation, we are removing your building permit. But they said, no, well... We know that also in you know, the Sermon on the Mount that in Matthew 5, 37, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So they said, we've already said yes to him. We're not going to uh, stop him from coming. So he came and he prayed and they removed their building permit. And for those of you that maybe don't know Chicago and the area that, that it's in, uh, it has snow fall on the ground for several months of the year. It gets really, really cold in the winter times. But still, this church congregation met every Sunday, rain, hail, snow and shine for six years. For six years until they let them build upon that church again. And you might say, why? That, that's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they, why would they do that? But it's because even though they didn't have any physical walls or even though they didn't have a roof, that this idea of once the foundation is laid we have this idea of this sanctified structure, that the structure provides our purpose. It, it, it holds our purpose. It holds the glory of God within it. And so they knew that although they didn't have any physical walls, that, that they still knew their purpose, that their purpose was that they were called to that community, that they were called to not let hate win that they were called to, to love their community and walls or no walls wasn't going to stop them. But they, they didn't need the walls to glorify God. They didn't need the walls to, to help the community. They knew their purpose. They knew their calling. And so they came and they met every week in the snow to glorify God. And I wonder, in your life as a house, what are your walls made of? Do you have a purpose that you would be willing to stand in the snow for six years for something to be built into your life? Is there something of that worth and that value to you? What sets the, the direction of your life? And why did I use this term sanctified structure? Was it just because they both 
start with S, and so it's easy to remember, and it's a big word, and it makes me look smart? Yeah, probably. But more than that, the word sanctified really means set apart. That just as the walls and the roof, the the structure sets apart the inside from the outside, it's the very thing that, that sets apart what is allowed inside the house and what is outside of the house, so too our life is defined by by what we allow in and what we keep out. By what is set apart and what gets set aside. There are certain things that you, your life has been set apart for and there are certain things that you need to set aside from your life. That you need to say, they, they hold no place in my life. I'm not going to allow them in and under the roof of my structure. So what gets set apart and what gets set aside? Just a a quick list of some things that that don't belong in your house. Anger, sin, envy and jealousy, addictions. These things don't belong in your life as a house. Things that do belong in your life as a house. Access, access to God, intimacy, intimacy with God, hospitality, recreation, and sanctification, being cleaned and cleansed from the inside out. So what are your walls made of? What are you setting aside And what are you setting apart? Do you just look to the calendar to tell you what you're going to do in that day? Do you just look to your bank balance to see what you can and can't do? Or are you going to look to the Word of God? Are you going to seek the Holy Spirit for a specific word for what your life is called to, for the gifts and the talents that he has given you, that he has set aside you for, and is that what's going to set the agenda and the structure of your day? Let's not just be people that are driven by the calendar, driven by the clock. Let's not just be people that are driven by our bank balance, that will do whatever our finances allow us to do. But let's be people that allow our agenda to be set by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the lover of our soul. So we've got our solid foundation. We've got our our faith foundation. We've got our sanctified structure. But then lastly, we need our boundless beauty. The boundless beauty of God. And I love how Paul describes God to the people of Athens. Because the people of Athens had no context. They were following all these different gods and so they had no idea who this God of the Bible was. And so he has to give a description to these people who have no context about who God is. And this is how he does it in Acts 17. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, 
this master of sky and land. He doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him, as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes the creatures, the creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't just play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him. We live and move in him. And it says that he's given us plenty of time and space and light and color and joy and wonder and majesty. And if you're not experiencing that today, if you feel as though your life doesn't have time and space in it, if your life is cluttered up with all this stuff and you can't see the beauty, then God is saying, that's not the life I intended for you to live. I intended for your life to have time and space. And you don't have to just work and strive and try to do all this stuff for me, try to make this world and your life good for me, because it says in that passage that he's already done it, that he's the creator. You're not the creator. You don't have to wear that burden. You don't have to wear that burden of trying to work and, and make everything right. Because that was his responsibility. And despite what we may think, this idea of love and beauty is actually foundational. It's one of the essential aspects, the foundational aspects of who God is. That it's not just something extra. I know that, you know, when we come to the house that we live in, we think, well, as long as the foundation is there and as long as the walls are up, that's all that we need. But God doesn't want us to just get by. He called us, remember, in the passage that we read at the start, He called us to an abundant, lavish life. And so that abundance, that love, is something that we all need to know and understand, that God says, I don't just want you to find me useful, I want you to find me beautiful. That it's actually that that keeps us close to Him. Because there's going to be times in our life where we don't find God useful. There's going to be situations and circumstances where we wish that God would just turn the other way. Because we don't find Him useful to accomplishing what we want to accomplish. And so in those times, if we just have a foundation, but we haven't found him beautiful, then our faith isn't going to last. Then those floodwaters are going to come up and consume us. But God says, if you start to find me beautiful, even in the times where you don't think that I'm useful, you will still cling to me. You will still hold to me because... 
because my beauty is drawing you to me. And so even that passage that I read at the start where we were talking about, you know, Jesus in in that sermon was talking about building our life on the firm foundation. And that sounds like, you know, a great Bible study. It sounds like a great thing, you know, a great foundational passage of Scripture to start off his ministry. But if we actually dig a little bit deeper into that foundation to see what causes that foundation to have its strength, we'll see that in actual fact, Jesus In that passage, he's actually cross-referencing Song of Songs. Now, some of you maybe have never read Song of Songs. And maybe some of you, you know, young single people, maybe you shouldn't read Song of Songs because it's pretty raunchy, some of it. It's, It's a love story. It's love songs from one lover to another. So why when he's talking about a foundation and building on a rock, it sounds like a a dry kind of Bible story. But no, he's cross-referencing a love song between two lovers. So what is this foundation built upon that the floodwaters can't stop? We're going to read exactly what he was cross-referencing in Song of Songs 8 verse 7. It says, Rivers of pain... And persecution will never extinguish this flame. What's the flame that he's talking about? The flame of love. The flame of love. Doesn't matter how much pain and persecution, that if you want to know what the foundation is, what's going to hold you firm, what's going to hold you in those times when pain and persecution do come, it's actually love, it's actually beauty. Endless floodwaters will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. And this is what Jesus did. This is how he went to the cross. That he was so consumed with love for you that the floodwaters of death and sin that he had to, that he had to combat was not enough to still put the fire out, that there was nothing that would say, I've had enough, I'm coming down off of this cross, I can't take it anymore. No, that there was a love and a beauty within him that, that compelled him to still stay there. That, that drove him to the cross. And it doesn't make any sense. It's confusing. It's, it's illogical, but it's love. And if we're going to live that abundant life, and we need this painting of love and grace hung upon our wall. On every wall of our house, everywhere that we go, everything that we do, we need to see that ever before us. If we can have that picture up, thanks, Peter. This is confusing. This doesn't make any sense. 
But this is supposedly the height of art. This is uh, by an artist by the name of Jackson Pollock. This particular piece is called Number 17A. And this, this particular painting was sold in 2015 for $200 million. To me, that's not beautiful. To me, I wouldn't hang it on my wall. But to someone, it was so beautiful that they were willing to exchange $200 million to get that painting, to hang it on their wall. It's illogical and it's confusing to me. But the love and the grace of God is illogical and confusing to me too. But I still desire it. I still want to on I I want to hang that picture on my wall because you see Jesus didn't just hang a painting on a wall. He allowed his body to be hung upon a tree. And he paid more than just a mere $200 million for you. He paid with his own lifeblood. But then I go, well, it doesn't make any sense. When I look at what he got in exchange... Look at what he got in exchange for what he paid. He got this. Sinful, dirty, fearful, anxious. This is what he got. And it's illogical and it's incomprehensible and it it makes no sense. But it is beautiful. And I forever want to be thankful for it. And I forever want to live a life that reflects that. I want anyone that comes over to my house to be with me, to experience that love and that grace that is incomprehensible to me. Why would he pay for this? Don't I have to spend the rest of my life trying to to pay it back, trying to trying to to do something that he's paid so much for this don't I need to fix this up I don't understand but I'm thankful and maybe it still doesn't make any sense to you maybe you've asked those same questions that I asked And in those times when I'm crying like I am now, I find that cake helps. Who agrees? (laughs) So we have a cake here. It's my birthday. Chris made this cake. Chris is going to cut me a piece.
Look at that. Custard filled, just like every everything good and glorious that comes down from the Father of heavenly delights. Oh, so good. Now, I mean, hopefully there's going to be some left for you guys, but now, if I wanted to show my gratitude to Chris for making this cake, Maybe you would think the logical thing is to try and do something to pay him back. And so maybe what I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to determine what's in the cake. I just need to, to study this cake really carefully to work out what's in here so that I know exactly how much it cost. And as I look at, you know, I, I, just, I just need a little bit more just to make sure. So as I start to calculate the different elements that went into making up this cake, the different things, and start to calculate how much each of the elements cost, and then look out the, the slice size that he gave me and the, the radius and, the, you know, working out exactly the, the portion that he, that he gave me, I could go, well, taking all that into account and calculating all that to pay him back the flour, the egg, uh, the, the size portion that he, that he gave me, I think that um, it would equate to uh, what do I have in my pocket here? I have 61 cents. So there you go. Do, do you think that me giving him that money, trying to pay him back, values the gift? No. It actually devalues the gift because it devalues all the time and the, the effort that he put into it. It, it, it. it actually devalues the gift because it devalues you know, the, the love and the self-sacrifice that he put into that. And yet that is what we do with Christ every day. We spend our lives trying to just pay him back for something that we never can. And in doing so, we often devalue the personal sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so although it is illogical, although it doesn't make any sense, the best way to actually show my appreciation is actually to go further into debt and to go back and say, Chris, this is the best cake that I've ever had. Can I have another slice? 
Thank you, Chris. But this is what God wants from us. He wants us to simply ask for another slice. Although we're already in debt, although we can never pay it back, He simply just wants us to ask for another slice. He wants us to ask for more grace. He wants us to ask for more love. He wants us to say, I've tasted of this and I never want to eat anything again. I want another slice of your love. It's illogical. It doesn't make any sense that we're already in debt and we're asking to go more in debt. But that's what love is. It is an all-consuming fire, as it said in that passage in Song of Songs, that cannot be quenched, that cannot be fulfilled, that will just every day keep asking for more. And if my life as a house is going to look beautiful, and if your life as a house is going to look beautiful, then that is what we need to do each and every day. We don't need to try to pay him back. We need to just simply ask for another slice of what he has for us. Would you stand as we're going to pray? Father, we thank you that the cross of Jesus provides a firm foundation for us to build our life upon. We thank you that the cross of Jesus Christ and the calling of Christ upon each one of us provides a purpose, provides a sanctified structure to hold the blessings of God. But Father, we thank you that you are an abundant God, longing to pour out your grace and your mercy, loving to pour out your love until it overflows. And we see that upon the cross. Lord, I pray that you would make my life beautiful. That I would not spend my life just trying to pay you back. But that all of us would simply say, another slice I want to go further into debt I love debt that I can never repay a grace debt that I can never earn back so whether we're here for the, for the first time or whether we've been here all our lives Lord today we want to come and we want to taste of your goodness. We want to receive of your fullness. As we ask now for more of your grace and more of your love. Come and fill us to overflowing now, we pray. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember... The door is always open for you at LifeHouse. God's house, our home.